So we are into week three of our Courageous Church series. First we looked at confidence, confidence in the gospel especially. And then last week Helen thought about being contagious, about telling your story with those people you know and those others whom you might encounter. So I wonder what your week has been like, an adventure perhaps, and if it has, how much courage has it taken you? Because that's the title of the third sermon, A Courageous Church Has Courage. Now I realise that seems a quite ridiculous statement, but of course a courageous church does have courage. But what is courage? That's the question. Last week, um, the reading was about Paul in Philippi talking to Lydia and her household. And that you can find in Acts chapter 16. But today we've gone back to Acts chapter 14, where we began in week one. We first met Paul in Iconium. He and Barnabas spent a lot of time there speaking for the Lord. The city was divided, though, by those who sided with the Jews and those who sided with him. And a plot to stone our courageous heroes meant that they fled to other places. So in between our first reading in Acts 14 and today's reading, Paul and Barnabas go to Lystra and to Derbe, and they take their courage with them, I suppose in the equivalence of the rucksacks that we might carry today as we go on an adventure. A man, lame from birth, was healed as he listened to Paul, who saw his faith and told him to stand up on his feet, and the man immediately did so. Well, you can imagine the amazement of the crowd, so much so that they shouted in their own languages that the gods had come down amongst them. They assumed Barnabas to be Zeus and Paul Hermes as the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus' temple even thought that it would be a really good idea if they offered sacrifices to these two men. So I wonder how Paul and Barnabas might react. Well, in our contemporary look-at-me celebrity culture, we might have expected them to parade up and down the street and be on the first, first century equivalent of trending Instagram or Twitter, maybe. But actually, Paul and Barnabas are devastated. They tear their clothes in protest. They rush to the crowd, try hard to convince everyone that there is nothing special about them. They are just ordinary human beings. But they have come to tell an extraordinary story the good news, the gospel story of the God who really did make heaven and earth. But the crowd still want to offer sacrifices. Now I wonder how you might have responded in such a situation. How much courage would you have had to tell the truth like Paul and Barnabas and not actually enjoy the admiration and the adulation, the attention? The dictionary definition of courage is bravery and boldness. And I wonder if Paul still thought that when some Jews from the divided city of Iconium that he had recently left then came and stirred up this crowd again, won them over, and eventually Paul is dragged out of Lystra and stoned. But verse 20 says, after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Was he mad? Or did he really have courage? Paul was confident of the good news of the gospel and his mission was to share it. 
He knew that it was a contagious message and he wasn't going to let it go. I think we probably would say that he was bold and brave, that he had courage. Our two heroes then go on to Derby and they preach again in that city. They follow the same kind of pattern. Let's go to the synagogue and then to the places where people meet for prayer. And again, a large number of people come to faith. And then perhaps the most brave thing that would take so much courage happens. They go back to the places where they've been stoned, where they've had to flee for their lives. Why on earth? Well, they do it in order to encourage those who have come to faith, encouraging them to remain true to that faith. Notice that word, encourage. It comes from the French, en, which means in, and courage, which does mean courage. Helping people to be in a state of courage, i.e. brave and bold. And I think back over my lifetime, there have been a few occasions where I've had to be like that, that have really stood out to me. The first time, I suppose, I got on an aeroplane. I really needed a bit of courage for that. And then having children and miscarriages, they are experiences that require some courage in various ways. And then I didn't go to university as planned. I got married instead. That took a lot of courage, explaining to my parents why. And then in junior school, I remember one particular occasion that I needed an amazing amount of courage. So I would have been nine or ten, and um, at our summer fete, we used to have kind of demonstrations. Classes used to do different things to demonstrate what they were doing, and our class drew the short straw, as far as I was concerned, for PE this particular year, because me and PE did not go together at all, still don't. So there was this point in the, in the demonstration where there were all the boys on one side of a, of a mat and all the girls on the other side in lines. And we had to cross the mat by doing a forward roll so that we ended up on the other sides of the mat. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Well, I couldn't do a forward roll and I was the only person in the class who couldn't. So it was decided that when it was my turn to do the forward roll, I would in fact just step into the boys' line it didn't feel very nice to me. Um, in fact, so much so that on the morning of the PE demonstration, I had said to Mum, Mum, I don't think I can go to school today. I've got a really sore tummy. Well, unfortunately, my mother saw straight through that <laughs> and packed me off. PE shorts, T-shirt and pumps the lot. I can still feel the shame, actually, that I felt being the only one who couldn't do what everybody else could do. And actually to take that step to the side rather than melting into a quivering heap in floods of tears was quite hard. It took a great deal of courage. But I expect like me, you can think back to times when courage just has to be grasped with both hands and hung on to for dear life. Maybe some of the most courageous things I have done have been to do with my faith. The first time I did a baptism visit with the vicar when I was back in my early 20s, a very long time ago. And then the first time I did a funeral visit on my own as a curate. The first time I wore a dog collar in public. Faith is such a personal thing to us today, isn't it? 
But actually, do you know, we need to remember that our faith is in a community, the Trinity. They are all supporting each other, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Greek term for this is perichoresis. It means kind of the dance of the three. They, they work together, they dwell together, but they are individuals too. It's our model, really, for how to be the community of the church. But I wonder if we actually have the courage to follow that model. Or would we rather do that kind of isolating thing that says, my faith is mine. I don't really need to share it. Or even, I can't share it. Having listened to Helen's sermon last week, I was really struck again by the courage it takes to be contagious. Loads of courage is needed. Well, really because we're safe in the church, aren't we? In this building, we kind of know why we're here. We've come to worship God together. We all know pretty much the words we're going to say. Um, it's a familiar place and we understand what's going on. But what about in the world? What about our words there, if we use any at all? And of course, it isn't just words that are spoken that will help people find out about Jesus. It can be the lives we lead too. They are watched and scrutinised. You will remember that I said I was going to read a book through Lent. And this is the book. It's called Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. And I've just, I've reached the middle, which is good because we're in the third week of Lent. I just want to read you a little passage from there which hopefully will kind of explain what I mean. So this is what Francis says. 20 years ago, my wife went to the gym. It's not her thing. When she got home, I asked her how it went. And she proceeded to tell me that she took a step class. They were big things in the 1990s. But she didn't get very much out of this workout. When I asked her why, she explained that the instructor was so obese that it was quite hard to be motivated by her. She was so used to having an instructor that would make her envious, one of those that sells fitness machines by being thin and slim and bronzed and draped over it, that kind of a person. When I read about the Apostle Paul, I am challenged to become like him. When I read of his longing for Christ in Philippians, of his perseverance through suffering in 2 Corinthians, and his love for people in Romans, it stirs me. I want to look like him. I want his peace. Like Paul, I want to come to the end of my life and know that I didn't waste it. It's his example, not his words, that move me. Even though there are well-known talk show hosts, bloggers and speakers, Nobody really admires them, they just talk. Speakers can fool someone, but everyone admires the life that's worthy of following. And it seems to me that we've lost some of this reality in the church. We expect people to be captivated by our speech when our lifestyles are not that compelling. That's hardly proof that God is with us. If we were able to look objectively, Perhaps we could see why the average person is not banging on the front doors of our church buildings. If Muslims were advertising free donuts and a raffle for a free iPad as a means to get people to their events, 
I would find that ridiculous. It would be proof to me that their God does not answer prayer. If they needed rock concerts and funny speakers to draw crowds, I would see them as desperate and their God as cheap and weak. Understand that I am not judging any church that works hard at getting people through the doors with good motives. I spent years doing the same thing and I believe my heart was sincere. I wanted people to hear the gospel by any means possible. But I'm just asking you to consider how this looks to a watching world. While our good intentions may have got some people through the door, they also may have caused a whole generation to have a lower view of God. So my question is this, what courage does it take to be different, to live lives that stand out from the crowd so that others get the chance to catch what we have? We've already said the gospel is contagious. I guess the question really boils down to this. Do you and I have the courage to be a courageous church? I could say, well, yes, I will if you will. But I don't want to say that. I want to say, yes, of course we do. But do you really agree with me? I want those people who've not yet met Jesus to be able to do that. To be able to look at the four symbols we've got. Do you remember the ones of a heart, a dividing sign, a cross and a question mark that help us to tell the story of the fact that God loves us? Sin divides us from him. Jesus died on the cross for us. And the question is, will we follow him and ask his forgiveness? I need confidence in this kind of story that I, so that I can be contagious amongst people who don't know who Jesus is. But I also need courage to step out into the unknown. And that courage is going to come with support and encouragement from others. Being Christians takes courage. It did for Paul and Barnabas, and it does for us today. It takes courage to go on an adventure, maybe a rucksack too, and of course each other. We are on the threshold of an adventure as a courageous church in this place at this time. We're gonna to have to make some bold decisions. We're going to have to support and encourage each other we're going to have to start looking out beyond our walls, break down barriers, live lives that make others ask questions. We might struggle a bit, there might be some hardships along the way, but if we take courage with us, if we dare to listen to God and trust in him, what kind of an adventure might we have and how God's kingdom could grow? In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim sets off on an adventure. In my copy of the story, which is a kind of a graphic novel version, a bit like a comic book, um, you can see it has the speech bubbles all over it. In my version of this story, the word courage appears seven times. In 1676, John Bunyan knew that courage was needed if you were going to be a Christian. Paul and Barnabas, Simon, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they all held on tight to courage. So what about now, in 2019? What do you think? Will you, will we, take hold of courage with both hands, 
hold on tight and see what adventure we might have. Can we do that? Can we do it together? Dare we try. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the further um, explanation of how you want us to be as we journey with Paul and Barnabas through the, the Acts of the Apostles. Help us to remind ourselves that we need to be confident of your gospel, that we need to try to be contagious, and that we need to hold on to courage with both hands as we endeavour to live lives that make others ask questions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.